Sports Now podcast. I'm Steve Titchener in our Jersey studio. I'm joined by Matt Lachlan and John McAlevey. And on the line, we welcome to the show the radio play-by-play voice for Rutgers basketball, Jerry Recco. And Jerry, thanks for joining us. Thanks for asking me, guys. How you doing? Doing great. A big win for Rutgers Sunday night at the Rack. Geo Baker was huge down the stretch. I mean, he had that running one-hander, uh, that bank shot. He had the drop-back three, which was a dagger. I mean, eight points in the last uh, two-plus minutes of the game. And it seems, Jerry, that Rutgers goes the way Geo Baker goes, huh? They do. You know, he's kind of the driving force of that team for sure. And what you love about him is, number one, he's just a super nice kid. Number two, even when he's struggling or not scoring, you really believe uh, that he's going to come up with the big play and the big shot and the big moment. And there was a there was a key spot in the game. I forget if it was the Iowa game or it might have been at Michigan State where he shot a three in a big in a, in a big spot and the ball went in and out. I looked at my partner Joe Boylan on the air. I said, "You know, you get so used to those big shots going in that you're surprised when it doesn't." And he certainly did it on Sunday night in what was a terrific win over Minnesota. And that three, I mean, he made a bunch mm-hmm. of plays, and you certainly highlighted them, but the three that he made, yeah. the place was ready to explode, and it was just a blast. So many good things happening at Rutgers. The crowds are back. Uh, the team has improved under Steve Peichel. What's the biggest step forward that this team has taken so far, Jerry? Um, toughness, I think. You know, they've been, since, Mr., uh, since Steve has gotten there, the one thing he installed was a defensive mindset, uh, a tough-minded um, type of play. The offense has gotten better. The shooting has gotten better. Free throws are still an issue that they work through, but for the most part, this is a this is a good group of kids. Number one, and then you see it on the floor. Um, they're very difficult to uh to, to score inside on because of the length with guys like miles johnson shaq dorson eugene omarui is a terrific defender um and i think that first and foremost when you go back to year one year two and now this year that has been pretty much a constant some of the players have changed but the mindset remains the same and you know you can't give the coaching staff enough credit as well because these guys all do a tremendous job you know, Jerry, as we know, collegiate athletics, uh, so goes your program, is how well you do on the recruiting trail. And uh, Montez Mathis was the top 100 guy coming in. He was the headliner. but uh, And he's really come on the last couple of weeks to live up to that promise. But he's not the only freshman that's really doing the job. I mean, Ron Harper Jr. has really stepped up. Caleb McConnell's been really good, as has Miles Johnson. Tell us a little bit about each of those players and how they've progressed during the season. Uh, well, I'll take it from the end there. You mentioned Miles. Uh, Miles, you know, red-shirted, watched last year, so not a true freshman or a freshman this year. Yes. He's a guy that Joe Boylan pointed out to me. Uh, again, Joe's my radio partner. Used to be the associate head coach there back in the 70s. Um, he pointed Miles out to me last year during practice one time and, you know, just said, keep an eye on this kid. Can't wait for him to get on the floor because he's got a really high basketball IQ and athletically He's just so gifted around the basket, and we're really starting to see that now, late in his first year, uh, for real on the floor. He's got this jump hook that is, uh, you can't stop it because he's got good size, good length. And, you know, if you need a basket, Miles is a good guy to go to uh, in a key spot. In terms of Caleb McConnell, 
uh, I thought a little slow to get going, which is, I think, expected for freshmen, started to really break out and then got injured in the first game against Minnesota, which was on the road. He has since kind of found that rhythm again uh, to where he was ascending to after missing some time with the injury. And he's the type of guy, you know, he's the guy you want on the floor in crunch time when you need free throws to be made because he's just, he's probably, I want to say about 78%, but watching him in practice, hmm. guys, he does not miss. He's that good. Ron Harper Jr., uh, you know, he's the son of an NBA player that we're familiar with in the area. Um, again, a little slow to get going, but you see the stroke, you see the shot. He is starting to make big shots as they are getting more comfortable. And what's interesting about all these guys, and I'll mention Mathis in a moment, is I kind of wondered when other teams saw these guys for the second time, how much more difficult it would be for them. And I'm finding that it's easier for the player the second time around seeing these teams because they almost know what to expect and they've made the adjustment. And Montez Mathis, he is the quintessential slasher driver to the basket. I'm not so sure I want him shooting threes in a big spot, although he can make them. Mm -hmm. But boy, he is electric to the rim. He guards well. And him on the fast break, it's just a monster dunk waiting to happen. So yeah, the four of them together and playing significant minutes, uh, you're seeing the maturity right before our eyes. Jerry, let's go back to their size now. And Patino alluded to this Wednesday that they're they're huge in his press conference. You got that three-headed monster really right now. Miles Johnson, Shaq Dorson, Shaq Carter. And, and, you know, Shaq Dorson, I mean, his defense is really, I mean, it's not much of a score, but his defense has been incredible. Yeah, and what he did in part on Jordan Murphy on mm-hmm. Sunday night was great. I mean, Jordan Murphy's a guy you're expecting him to get 15, 16, 17 points, 12, 13 rebounds. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I want to say it was something along the lines of, 10 points and six boards or something. And he was really not much of a factor after an early basket. Uh, Dorson has been tremendous defensively. And I don't even buy, if you look at the stats, I think he'll come up with about 25 block shots on the season. And I am telling you conservatively, it's more in the mid to upper thirties. Me and Joe, a lot of times we'll look at a box score at the end of a game, wherever we are, home road, and we'll look and we'll see one block, and it's like, what game are we watching? Because he's either altering shots or blocking them, but his defense has been great. And you mentioned Patino talking about their length. Tom Izzo getting ready for the game last week in his uh, pre, I guess it was the, the press conference the day before, he was really concerned about the length as well with Rutgers, and it's certainly a weapon for them. And for much of that game at Michigan State, it was working. It didn't work out so well in the end. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, definitely, it definitely catches the eyes of opposing coaches for sure. They're 5-4 and four in their last nine conference games coming off the win against Minnesota. They currently sit 10th in the conference. I guess they could get as high as 7th. You know, what's realistic right now? Just to get out of that, uh, quote-unquote, play-in game, is, is that sufficient enough? You know, Matt, I think it, I think it is because when you look at uh, someone asked me before I did an interview before the season began and someone said, what would be progress in your eyes? You know, year three, uh, year one was obviously, uh, the foundation was laid and then they win the one conference tournament game in Washington, DC, which was an absolute blast. And they had a chance to win the second one, but they win the one. And then last year, You know, they win a couple of conference games. They got the road conference win at Penn State. It was kind of like another box was checked off 
the list. And then you go to the conference tournament at Madison Square Garden, and they win the first two games. And then they're in that game with Purdue with, I think, a three-point lead with four minutes to go. And, you know, Purdue is a heck of a basketball team, as we know. Uh, and they were that close to advancing to playing on Saturday. And so you kind of look at the progression they've had. And I said, if you win four, five, six conference games, if you keep you know, adding to the win total, if you keep winning games on the road, which is so difficult to do in this league, I think you've done a really good job. And then the next thing to me would be, yes, to not play on the Wednesday at the conference tournament. So avoid 11 through 14. And I think if they end the season 10 or higher, and they do have a great chance to be anywhere from seven to 10, because they do have winnable games coming up in their last three, that I think they've had a tremendous, you know, building another step in their build with where they want to go. And then you're looking at next year, you know, guys like we just talked about with McConnell and Mathis and Harper and Johnson. And then you bring in the guy like uh, Paul Mulcahy who will be here next year. And Jacob Young can play next year. I look at this team and say, my God, I mean, now you're looking at really having something here uh, in terms of what they can do and what they can't do. But I think this year has been a tremendous success so far with three games to go. Absolutely. Jerry, uh, Matt mentioned earlier that the rack is back. It's loud as it's ever been. I can remember going uh, uh, years ago. I'm a Providence College grad, and we would come in, and I can remember there was one game where Hervé Lamazana made a couple threes late, and I couldn't hear myself. I wanted to get out of that building as fast as I could because it was so loud. But let's Mm. go back to the Iowa game. I mean, talk about emotions and, and like in that final 10 seconds, how it went from elation to just, you know, sorrow when. Wieskamp, that Joe Wieskamp shot, I mean, if, if he takes that a hundred times again from that angle, he'll never make it the way he did again. Tell us what, what went through your mind and how the building sounded to you at that point. Well, number one, about the rack, since you brought it up, this to me is one of the greatest venues that not enough people know about to watch a basketball game, especially now that the team, you know, with the new coaching staff and then the players and with the team on the rise, it is a great place to watch a basketball game. So much so, I mean, I got a 14-year-old that's you know heavy into basketball, and he'd like to go almost every game if possible. So it's a, it's a fun place to be, um, and it's, everything's handled well. In terms of the game against Iowa, you, know, you go back to Geo Baker, which is where we started the conversation, and he hits a three that hits the front of the rim, bounces high, and goes in to give them – uh, the two point lead. And you look at the clock and you're saying, and there's three seconds to go 3.3, I think is what was on the clock. And, you know, you get the timeout and you're thinking, there's no way mm-hmm. that they're going to be able to pull this off because I knew that Bohannon was going to be double teamed, which is another, you know, side of the story. People that criticize, you know, Bohannon being double teamed are not watching Iowa ever because the kid makes every shot that he takes money in, in a big spot, but whatever. And um, free so, throws too. And free throws, exactly. Yeah, so you don't want to foul him uh, and put him on the line because he's at 91%, I think, from the line, which means you got a tie game. So the only way, the only possible way they're losing that game is on a fluke play, and that's exactly what happens. You get the tip, the clock starts. Boham, not Boham, Wieskamp picks it up in the corner, and I agree with you. You know, it's funny. When we were at Michigan State, one of the assistant coaches uh, we were talking to from the Spartans said Cassius Winston is their horse guy. Mm-hmm. He loves playing horse and coming up with trick shots. He said at shoot around uh, earlier in the day, they gave Winston 10 opportunities to make that shot. And he went over 10, never came close. Um, that's how fluky it was. When you bank in a shot 
from essentially behind the bed. It makes no sense. <laughs> it's a, so, it, 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 Jerry, it, it disproved the laws of physics. Uh, it was it nuts. It didn't even hit. When they say bank, it's not like it hit glass. It hit like the rubber stanchion Correct. on the backside of the basket. So it wasn't. you couldn't physically bank yeah, it in li- from that angle. It was ridiculous. Correct. You know, a Rutgers fan took a shot of the angle. It's unbelievable. I mean, if it doesn't hit the corner the corner of the backboard, which it right. hit, that, that's it. It's in the crowd. It's not even close. It was just, it, I, again, it was just so improbable. Have you ever seen something so improbable, Jerry? I mean, it was, it was really, it I mean, was a I, dagger. Yeah, we probably, we, we might have, but I think to the point of how good this coaching staff is and how fun this team is and how uh, fearless they are, you know, I was concerned going to, uh, after that game, going, I guess it was Michigan State, was after that, and you're thinking, Boy, how in the world are they going to come back and play hard after that? Yeah. And I, it was one of the first questions I asked Steve Peichel in our pregame chat. I said, you know, what do you expect out of your group? That was devastating on Sunday night. A game that you had won, it could have done wonders for the standings. And he looked at me straight in the face. He goes, we're prepared. We're going to play well. And boy, did they ever come out prepared and did they ever play well? And, you know, for about 30 minutes, you really thought that they were going to They had a good chance to upset Michigan State. And then even after that, they blow an 11-point lead in the second half of Michigan State. And you're thinking, all right, Minnesota's desperate. Mm -hmm. This is a really good team that we already saw. They got three guys averaging 15 points a game. You know, what are you going to get out of this club tonight? And, you know, darn it, here they come again. And and they pull off another win. Absolutely. It was a great win. So given this, they're going to Iowa uh, that's a pretty big bounce back too, because what was tough about that is I was a very good team, Jerry, and and to to win at home that would have been a huge win for them. And just uh, uh, what do you expect uh, going into Iowa? I expect to parrot the coach and say I expect them to play very well. I think for one, this is a group that probably is a, was a little tired, and they had the week, which is I think the timing is great. Um, the time of the game is good. So they'll fly in on Friday night. We will. And the game will be, I guess it's five o'clock Eastern on Saturday. I was a really good basketball team for sure. But I think Rutgers bothers them. Um, kind of what we were talking about the way they defend, uh, Wieskamp and Bohannon are certainly tough to deal with on the outside. If they can do as good a job as they did on them in the first game, I think they've got every opportunity. The problem with this team is kind of like, the Indiana, kind of like the Rutgers game, number one, but the Indiana game just a few days ago at um, at Iowa City, you know, I, Indiana's got a six-point lead in that game with 45 seconds to go. Iowa comes down, they get a three, they get a turnover, and then Bohannon hits a ridiculous fall-away three to tie the game and send it to overtime. So it's one of those teams, I think Rutgers can play with them again. I think they'll have a chance to win, but until you see zeros on the clock, that game is never over with this team. Man, and what what has happened to Indiana basketball? Man, they have fallen hard. Hey, how's how's the conference going to shake out? It's it's almost impossible to tell. It's so competitive. But I'm you know Michigan State coming off that great win uh, against Michigan over the weekend. Uh, they sit atop the standings. Uh, in the end, who's going to come away with all the marbles? It's a great question. Uh, I was really surprised Michigan State won that game on the road. You know, no Langford, you got no Ward, and the fact that. They're still doing what they're doing. Um, you got guys, uh, Tillman stepped up and played real well against us. And I know they had a solid game to, to win uh, in Ann Arbor. Michigan, that having been said, is a really good basketball team. Purdue is tremendous. Wisconsin's really good. Man, I have no idea. I mean, I, the one thing that has impressed me about this league is even if you look at the bottom of the conference, 
it's tough. I mean, going into any of these venues and trying to win is brutal. The places are loud. They're packed. The talent levels, the depth. Um, if you told me any of if you told me Maryland wound up winning the conference tournament, I wouldn't be surprised. They're, they're supremely talented. It's just, it's a good league. Enjoy the tournament, and we'll see where it stands at the end. Jerry, I've got a couple of quick uh, Big Ten sort of uh, uh, fire round here. As far as you mentioned the teams that might be the best that come out. First of all, who do you think is the, the best player you've seen in the conference so far this year? And then um, how about your favorite road venue to call a game from? And then uh, sort of a funny one here. Which name gives you uh, more sweats when calling a game? Sandro Mamukalishvili or Georgie Bejanishvili from Illinois? <laughs> so the kid from Illinois. Yeah. Manish, how do you pronounce his name again? I don't know. Me, I All I know is he put up like 30 yes. points. He was phenomenal against Rutgers. And, and, and he is just uh, uh, the embodiment of personality, too. Yes, but those are some <laughs> tough names as a play-by-play guy. I know Matt has tough ones calling hockey games, but those are two, two whoppers for you, I would think. Yeah, the kid from Illinois, well, it's funny because I sat there with the, you know, you have the pronunciation guy, but more than that, I always DVR uh, yes. games when I see a team coming up. And so I had the pronunciation down and I write it phonetically for me. So the entire game, I, I mean, I didn't miss his name once and it was all good. And the probably not the biggest, but one of the bigger plays in the game. And I forget, I honestly forget exactly how to pronounce it as I'm speaking to you, but I remember what I called him at the end. And I called him a Scottish Bealy, which I don't know where that even came from, but that happened. So, yeah, yeah, I would say he gives me the sweats uh, for sure in terms of the name. Mm -hmm. Favorite venue is easy, and that's Purdue. I think that place is as difficult and as intimidating a place to play. The colors are awesome with the dark brown and the black. Mm -hmm. The lighting is really cool. It's like an octagon-shaped building. Uh, You've got the student section right on top of both rims, essentially. So it doesn't matter which direction you're shooting free throws. Mm -hmm. It is tough to do, and it is just loud. Uh, To me, that place is the coolest and yet toughest place uh, to do a game. And then the other question was what best player? Yeah. Who do you think so, has been the, so far the best player in, in, uh, in the conference that you've seen? Um, you know, Ethan Happ is still, you know, one of the top ones. Winston is remarkable. Um, uh, I would probably go with, I don't want to keep it Purdue, but I would probably go with Carson Edwards yeah. just because when we played out there, first of all, every time we play him, he has a big game, but the shots, the kid makes, off balance, hand in your face, the way he elevates and shoots over the defender. Uh, I would probably go with Carson Edwards in, uh, atop the league so far with what I've seen. Now, Jerry, I'm a Rutgers alum. And By the way, we should, not just an alum, Jerry, <laughs> just look behind the bench. And Steve has uh, a contact that has season tickets, and Steve often gets those tickets. Oh, yeah, I'm right behind. Like two, seat, two oh, rows fantastic. behind Pike. It's fantastic. So this, oh, this, that's awesome. That's fun. Oh, and the rack has just been fantastic this year. It's, yep. been, it's just been so exciting, right? But I know there's mixed feelings in New Brunswick, but how awesome is it, speaking of the Big Ten, that Rutgers is now in the Big Ten? I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, I think for basketball, listen, I don't know anything about football. I really don't. Um, I know it's really difficult, but I will speak for the basketball program being in the Big Ten. It is not fun. It's more than that. It is awesome. The idea that teams like Michigan State routinely now, Michigan State, Illinois, Michigan, Iowa, all these teams that you're talking about are coming into New Brunswick, you know, whatever it is, nine nine home games out of the league play or whatever the case may be, maybe even ten. 
uh, the fact that these are the venues that they're playing in, and it's nothing against anyone else or any other league, but this is the top of the top, and it kind of goes back to what I said before. I mean, you find me a better league top to bottom uh, in terms of depth and player talent and skill and then the venues that are always packed. I mean, we don't see an empty arena ever. Um, you know, if you play in front of less than the 8,000 at the rack, then it's really crazy. These road games, even Penn State, which is not known for basketball, we played there. We play on like Saturday afternoons every year when we go there. And even that place is packed Mm -hmm. and loud. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you, Steve. I think it's been awesome being in the Big Ten. And I think part of that is having the right coach in place, which they do, and seeing the progress, which you're seeing, and kind of having the vision, which will, I believe, come to fruition having this team be in that top draw of teams in the league. Now, Jerry, there's a couple Big East guys here, so they might fight us a little bit on that. No, no, you can't argue the depth of the Big Ten. In fact, it... As much as football is the tail that wags the dog, the, the basketball is it's just incredible. Uh, as you mentioned, the depth and the historic venues that you go to, the history of the teams, it's it's just fantastic. There are there's it's so competitive and football is not football is so top heavy. You know, you pretty much every year you can say, oh, it's going to be Michigan, Ohio State, throw in Penn State, you know, and other teams bounce up. But in basketball, even though, yes, there is Michigan and Michigan State, and they've been there for a long time, but you just never know. No, it's a, it's a terrific basketball conference. I have no problem admitting that. But I will say this. When you were introduced, Jerry, Steve, who bleeds scarlet, that, that's that's the color of the red that comes out of any cut. It's scarlet, actually. He mm. introduced you as the radio play-by-play voice for Rutgers, which you absolutely are. But he forgot and neglected all together what you do every morning, getting up on the Boomer and Geo show, part of the crew on WFAN. Just, like, can you just talk a little bit about what the, the chemistry is like there and, and what your day is like, is particularly if you have a basketball game later that evening? Yeah. Um, first on the show, I think it's been fun. Um, obviously the circumstances with Craig, uh, were unfortunate, no doubt about it. Took us a little while to kind of find out what direction we were going in. I think Greg has been uh, a terrific addition, um, comfortable for me because I've known him for years, uh, when he was at the radio station as a intern, then as a producer, uh, took off for Pittsburgh and came back. And while people may not have realized it because the network's not in New York, Saw Greg every day for three years, literally 40 feet from me as he worked for CBS Sports Radio uh, in the morning uh, over there from 6 to 9 a.m. So very comfortable having him back. I think like anything, I think when something is new, uh, you know, for Greg, I think it was a tough spot initially because he was kind of thrown into a show that existed already considering uh, the station kept me with Boomer and Al and Eddie and Bob Dwyer. So the fact that he was thrown into a show that had had success, uh, and then it was kind of, while it was his show, he was the new man in. I think it took us a little while to get comfortable, but I think now, and I don't think it took that long, but I do think now that we're a year and a couple of months into it, I think for sure the chemistry is good. I think it's building. I think we're having a lot of fun, and it seems like every day it gets better and better. Um, and it's been it's been a blast, and it's been good. Again, unfortunate the way it happened, but I think it's worked out well uh, since. In terms of my day on a game day, Tricky for sure. My alarm goes off at two thirty. 
um, which is, you know, early, but I usually get home by 12 o'clock. So 12, 12, 15. So to me, that's the benefit. I spent a lot of time with my kids. I got a 14 year old boy and a nine year old, uh, allows me to coach and do a whole bunch of things. Otherwise I probably couldn't do if I had a normal job on game day, I probably don't get back home until, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And that's when you got to turn around and go back to work three hours later. But to me, it's worth, uh, it's worth it. A hundred percent. The thing, the one thing that's tough are the road games. When we fly back in and you land at 1am and you got to go right to work and take a nap and then do a shift. But for the most part, the positive so far outweighs the negative. It's not even fun. This has been the Rutgers gig has been along with, you know, fan has been one of the best jobs I've ever had, if not the best. I mean, it has been that much fun and working in tandem with FAN. And I also worked for, you know, Compass Media with the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, it's just been, it's been a great ride. It really has. You know, that's outstanding. And Jerry, I'm going to date you also. I, I, I go back to listening to, I guess it was 106.3 FM yeah. down the Jersey Shore, listening to the alternative uh, music. And that's how I kind of uh, caught on to you with the whole um, sports casting academy that you were putting together. But here's a question for you about the, the show again at WFAN. Uh, most people realize that it's obviously a radio show, but there's the television uh, part of that, too. How does it make that different? I mean, is it does it get down to like, hey, listen, I got to put an outfit together that I don't look like a complete moron on TV for three <laughs> hours during the day, or look like I just rolled out of bed? I mean, does that does that even go into the thinking? What is the what is the vibe between radio and TV at the same time? Well, CBS Sports Network has been, I think, an amazing partner for the show through the years now. Uh, yeah, you do think about little things like that. You think about when you haven't cut your hair and it's getting a little long and you see yourself on a monitor and you're like, good Lord, does right. this look awful today? Or, <laughs> you know, it could be something as simple as the shirt you wore doesn't really match with the shirt underneath. Or you do think of things like that, like you're a high school kid again. Yes. Um, but they're great to work with. They fully understand we're a radio show that they are simulcasting. I think we do things for them sometimes to make the TV product a little bit better. You know, if you remember back in the day with Mike and the Mad Dog when we were first, we were on Yes all those years. That was a true radio simulcast. We never looked at the camera. We never played into the camera. Mike and Chris might have a little bit, but as anchors, we didn't. Mm. This is a little different. We do try to, Boomer especially, he's a TV guy. So Burma will look into the camera and do things a little differently. We will do some more physical things, whether it's dancing or whatever the stupidity we might do. Some of that stuff is for TV. But for the most part, they're a great partner, and they know we're doing a radio show. So there are certain things that come into play, but not too much like you might think. Although this morning you were talking about how makeup is a good thing. And where Love was it. it? Where where was it when we were in high school? <laughs> Matt, I'm not kidding. I, no, believe, I say that, I, I, I believe mean, you. Yeah, I look the way we were two makeup girls, Jackie and Allie, and they do such a good job. I'll look in the monitor sometimes and I'll be like, God darn, my skin looks great today. <laughs> I was like, why did they do this when I was 17 when I was breaking out every other? <laughs> no, so, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get a date. Uh, oh, no, I'm with you, man. When I was on the TV side and you'd put makeup on, you were like, Damn, I look pretty good. Yeah. It works, huh? <laughs> it oh, it does. Like, listen, just think about it. Like you look at your your your, your wife or your girlfriend or yeah. whatever, and you go, "Wow, you know, they're made up most times." And 
But yeah. I, now, I don't know that we'll formally or officially cross yeah. that barrier other than yeah. for work. Well, now there's activities. an app for that, right? You can take wrinkles out of pictures on your iPhones <laughs> yeah. and whatnot. I'm sure. getting people Nothing sending surprises, me. Yeah. yeah. No hey, Jar, I'll leave you with the, the million dollar question here. We'll go back to Rutgers. We uh, know there's struggles at the line, 62%. Uh, they could have won a few more games if they could have hit some foul shots. And I'll ask you this. And I mean, is there anything that uh, Coach Peichel can do? Can you, no. co- can you coach? No. Can you coach? Coach free throws. I mean, I don't think so. I think it's on the. I, I think it's between the ears for every individual player. I mean, I can tell you, I've been to enough practices to see it. You know, they work on it. Mm-hmm. They practice them. They shoot them at nauseum. I will. I'll give you a good example. We mentioned Shaq Dorson before in his defense. If you watch Shaq Dorson shoot free throws in practice, yeah, I'm not saying he makes them all. He doesn't. It's Larry but, Bird, right? He's not a he, no, but he's also not a thirty-three percent free throw shooter either. Right. Um, there's a happy balance. Miles Johnson right now, his free throw percentage is down to forty-two percent. Mm-hmm. You watch him in practice, you think it's in the seventies or eighties. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying they're not mentally strong. That's not the case. It's something. Something's not equating when they get on the line, and I, there's nothing a coach you you can't go out there and shoot them for them. Right. You know, it's kind of like there's this new metric. I would love to come up with somehow. And that is how many points a team would actually score if an open shot goes in, meaning the coach actually put the team in the proper spot to execute. The kid doesn't execute. Because to me, that's what coaching is, putting them in the right spot to succeed. They ultimately have to lay the ball in. If the ball falls off the right side of the rim because they spun it the wrong way, to me, not on the coach. Same thing with free throws. You did the work. You got hacked. Go make the foul shots. There's mm-hmm. nothing else a coach can do. Jerry, as a coach, this is music to my ears. <laughs> I coach boys basketball in Milburn, and I've been doing it for 20 years now. And I just got uh, my team just finished up. We got whacked in in the, in the semifinals. But I'm with you, as I tell Steve and Matt. We can draw up a great play, but if my guy's going to shoot the ball off the tuba player, then we have no chance. You yeah. know, it's either going <laughs> to go in or it's not. The coach puts you in the position, and and that's that. You know, yeah. you yep. r- run off the screens, and everybody does what they're supposed to do and if it goes in or it doesn't go in that's on the coach yes well, i agree well jerry we can talk rockers basketball for four hours with you at least i could uh, no, but, we uh, could definitely have a conversation <laughs> we but we're we gonna gotta, wrap her up we gotta let you go uh matt's gotta be on his way so uh thank you for your time thrilled to have you on and we hope to have you on again guys anytime just give me a shout you got it thanks for having me thanks, thanks so much jerry. jerry thanks man be well all right and once again thank you to jerry recco Radio play-by-play for Rutgers basketball and also on the fan as well. And listen, Rutgers is not out of the NIT. Obviously not, no. And there's a couple of other tournaments we were talking about before we went on the air that it would be great that they could find themselves in because, you know, as a coach that's got a team that everyone's coming back next year, you're adding a really good, well-thought-of point guard you want to just keep playing. You want these guys to gel together. You want them to to know where the guy wants to be fed the ball in the corner and get get familiar with each other. So the more games they can play, the better. It would be nice if they could make some noise in the Big Ten tournament again this year. They're fun to watch again. We mm-hmm. mentioned they're a game under 500, but their games are fun. They're yeah. in them. They're yeah. not getting blown out all the time. So it's been uh, it's been a revelation this year, and hopefully they can continue to improve. And the, you know, the NIT is certainly a possibility. Yeah. As long as they don't completely have a pratfall, now it probably would help them to get above 500 overall. So I they might have so. to 
so have a little bit of a push here down the stretch. But the way they draw a local team, it's not the same old NIT, which was run by local metropolitan area guys. It's now been folded into the NCAA, and I don't think they have that same feel, though the tournament ends at Madison Square Garden. Uh, I don't think they have that, that. I don't think their emotion is as tied to local teams as it once was. But there's no doubt in my mind that the way Rutgers draws and if they're, you know, if they can just – they can just win a couple of more. It's going to be tough, though. Three left and uh, two on the road. They have to go to Iowa. It's going to be tough. Indiana will be tough. Um, and then they're home against Penn State, who's playing well. well so here's you know, the thing. It, it, yeah. yeah. If you don't win them, you don't deserve it, right? right. So, Absolutely. Uh, it's really yeah. in their hands. But and it's uh, not Michigan and Michigan State, yeah. like we mentioned. Yeah. So, yeah, they can win those games. Yeah. Those teams aren't and world beaters. Whatever happens, they're on the up and up. Six wins in the Big Ten so far. So, uh, they're playing better basketball. Are and- you watching Chris Ash? One program is building while the other is well, we imploding. Gotta- well, we'll have to see on it's that. It's time to get going, sir. Yeah, I, oh, I agree. So that'll do it for uh, this week's podcast at moresportsnow.com. Please check out our site and then follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. I'm Steve Titchener here with Matt Lachlan and John McAlevey. We'll catch you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.